Now, where's the local news program? Data extraction is impossible without... Hold to Yes, and what do you do? I'm doing the PR video cast. Yes, and splendidly too, if I may say so. Oh, do you think so? Oh, it's a gift. Oh, it's very nice of you. But how can you resist such a fate? Here comes the drums! Oh, here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. My name's Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, here, talking about things. Mostly Doctor Who, so we're here. We're talking about timey-wimey stuff. We are. Timey-wimey order. Yeah. I mean, you and I, we like to talk about timey-wimey stuff uh, here on the podcast, a wet that we make time for between our day jobs as journalists. Yeah, That's particularly we do. like that conversation that we had next week. The what? <laughs> Sorry, just getting timey-wimey. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. That was a great one. Or will be. Thanks. Yeah. So previously, previously on Portal Open, uh, just to bring you up to date with the most recent episodes in our journey so far... We went to Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead after being at the Forest of the Night. We went to the Forest of the Dead. Uh, then from that great Moffat and RTD collaboration, we went to another great Moffat and RTD collaboration, The Girl in the Fireplace. And then we went to part one of Trial of a Time Lord, which, uh, yeah, which was more of a therapy session, really, than, than an episode review. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then, amazingly, the, the randomizer did one, one of the, the cleverest things I think it's done, and another one of those things that makes me think that it's actually conscious in some way. It took us from Trial of a Time Lord to the Deadly Assassin, the ultimate tale of the Time Lords. Yeah, you uh, can't get much more of a Time Lord through line than those two. Yeah. And featuring the Doctor on trial, uh, as I totally forgot until we watched it again. Uh, but yeah. we will get into that. But in the meantime, uh, let's talk about how we're doing on social media and in our quest to get more reviews for the show. How are we doing, Pete? Well, it's coming along. Uh, we had those two reviews last week, and those were amazing. Uh, we'd love to get some more. If we, uh, if you're listening, you have not reviewed the show, please give it a review. Those reviews really do help us reach more people, reach more ears, and really keep the show going. Now. We have on record said the 50th person, the 50th review is going to get a prize, but I don't think that's fair to reviews one through 49. (laughs) So uh, we're going to alter that so that basically we're going to pick at random. We're going to use the randomizer for this one as well. It has multi functions, the randomizer. Someone within one to 50 will get it. So if you are review number, I'm not sure where we're at now, 10, whatever it is. You have a shot at that prize. And like I said, it's going to be nice. This is not just something you can just buy on Amazon. This is going to be, we're going back into the collection here. And I've got, I've got, I've been collecting Doctor Who paraphernalia for almost 40 years now. So yeah. it's going to be pretty good stuff, guys. So uh, for please give us a review. This on, on YouTube, you can see that Pete has a lot of paraphernalia on his shelves in the background that, that <laughs> I, I look at every week. And I'm starting and... to put in Easter eggs. <laughs> and I think I might need to oh, get this crick out of my neck. Oh, it's a Dalek. Oh, my goodness. I did notice that earlier. That That is, uh, Pete, for, if you're not on YouTube, Pete has the, like the top half of a Dalek that appears to have just been severed. Um, and not just any Dalek. Oh. You know what that is? I, I can't recognize it at this distance. It's, it's red. It's also backlit. 
It, yeah, it's red. So that's a kind of a giveaway. And I'm sure I'm sure there's YouTube. It's one of the Power Ranger dogs. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's actually um there's I'm sure there's some fans on YouTube right now screaming, it's the Supreme Dalek from Journey's End. Uh, um which we I think we saw again at some point. I can't really remember in some of the in the Moffat years or somewhere. Yeah, Asylum of the Daleks, maybe. It might have uh, been. All the Daleks were in that one. Yeah, or it might have no, actually I think it might have been the one after that. Uh, the yeah, which is familiar. So yeah. It's, it's uh it nice. speaks it's actually a headdress i've worn it for halloween once or twice that's great we we definitely need to record some episodes with you actually wearing this thing <laughs> guys if on, on the on the 100th review i will record an entire <laughs> podcast in my dalek voice you have my promise oh my god all we need are 100 reviews and boom it happens oh my goodness that that kind of reminds me have you ever have you ever seen the uh, the dalek relaxation tape on youtube <laughs> yeah one, one of my favorite one of my favorite uses of the dalek voice so i feel like you know we'll have a nice calming relaxing meditative episode uh with you doing the dalek voice throughout exterminations will continue until relaxed <laughs> improves. improves yes <laughs> yeah uh so how are we doing on uh tiktok our most popular social platform well, TikTok is going well. So we had a bit of a uh, like a two week hiatus there, but there was so much to share about Girl in the Fireplace. I think that actually worked well. Um, we had just so many good observations, so much engagement on that. Um, so TikTok's going well. We're getting close to forty five hundred followers. Um, again, we're making a big push for the ten thousand follower. So keep sharing that out. Uh, keep keep engaging with us there. Uh, that that really helps to TikTok, uh, by far our most active social network. Obviously, we're at Poll to Open, all one word, mm-hmm. and and people uh, like to uh, to get chatty in the comments, um, uh, which I love. I I, I never go to a, one of our TikToks and read the comments without coming away with some sort of edification or some new head canon, uh, something new to me that that I learn. So uh, we we like to give a shout out to our favorite commenters and uh, who who we got for our top TikTok comment this week, Pete. That's right. So it's time for the top TikTok comment of the week. So. Um, we have one from the girl in the fireplace uh, comments, and here it is. It's from someone named Simon Neil Scott, and it reads: "The doctor, and he's referring to Tennant here, the mm. doctor who lived for only seven years but lost so many people: Madame de Pompadour, Rose, watching River die, wiping Donna's memory, and the master in his arms." And I thought that was a good summary, but I was also curious because I actually wanted to shout this out. Um, I'm not sure like the seven years thing i'm willing to go for it but i'm not sure where he's getting that so i, I would really like to know i i know that there's there's a very popular youtube video that estimates the the age of each of the doctors or the amount of time oh uh, i haven't seen that one yeah i i'll, I'll no, maybe it. we'll link to it in the show notes i'll send it to you later but um but yeah i do seem to remember that it comes up with a very uh short amount for for tenants tenure which obviously compares to you know the 200 plus years of of matt smith's tenure you know, oh most... even even more with uh, the christmas planet stuff in the last episode there right yeah so yeah. it gets gets even higher um but yeah it is it is sort of a wildly different uh amount of time that that each doctor spends in the role and uh you know according to the show's own chronology which of course this being a time travel show is incredibly hard to figure out. But if you piece yeah. together based on all the evidence on the screen, I think you get about seven years for for Tenant's Doctor. So Interesting. Uh, I always yeah. kind of assume that if there's any gap at all, most of the doctors have a place where you could sort of 
uh, have mm-hmm. literally hundreds of years of adventures. And Matt Smith is might be the only one that makes it totally explicit because you know they mm-hmm. obviously said between the God complex, we talked about this because the God mm-hmm. complex and closing time, there's a 200 year gap. Right. Um, and in Tenant, I feel like you could make one up pretty easily, especially towards the end when he's all on his own. Oh yeah, and when, when, when he's off trying to avoid the Ood, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, post marrying Elizabeth the first, uh, which obviously takes place right before the end of time. Right. Um, uh, yeah, you, you could probably squeeze stuff in, but I kind of like the idea that that Tenant is one of his shorter regenerations because he's kind of you know too beautiful to live. <laughs> well, he certainly didn't want to go. <laughs> he certainly didn't want to go, and he expended a lot of his energy in producing a facsimile of himself to send off with Rose. So, yeah. you know, in, in a sense, Tennant is still with us in the alternate universe. So, yeah, really. Yeah, I got it, and, and really, nobody beats as short as he was. Nobody beats Eggleston, who probably was like he was. He played the Doctor for a season, but yeah. I don't even know if that that Doctor in the universe even lasted a year. I would I would take issue with with any accounting of uh, Eccleston's tenure because, of course, in in Rose in the kickoff episode of New Who, you do see photos of him. You know, it, throughout history, right? He's in the crowd in uh jfk's assassination you know the various other points where the you know the doctor hunting nerd who rose meets uh has has kind of tracked him down right um so you you've got to build in some unquantifiable amount of time between him you know regenerating at the end of the day of the doctor and uh and then uh ending up uh meeting rose and and fighting the autons you know so I could uh, we could we could go on all day yeah. about this. I have I have rebuttals, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll save it for that pod. Doctor when, Who uh, nerds getting distracted and falling down a rabbit hole or <laughs> talking about the length of each regeneration that never happens. Yeah, it never happens. Certainly right. not here. But let's um, talk about YouTube instead. Let's talk about YouTube. We already mentioned it, so as you might have guessed, um, we have a YouTube channel, and it has been somewhat, I would say. There's been a dearth of videos on the channel up until now. So, guys, we haven't been great about uploading to YouTube. We've got that sorted out. We're going to be uploading the podcast there every week on the, at virtually the same time we put it out on audio. So, if you ever wondered what we look like, mm. <laughs> that's that's the place you could find it, and you can uh, listen to us there. You can watch the podcast. You can find all the Doctor Who Easter eggs in my office and uh, see. Uh, gl- uh, Chris's glorious framed edition of the pull to open sign from the TARDIS, which uh, might have That's been right. an inspiration for something. I don't know. Yeah, we've also got a little uh, Doctor Puppet uh, postcard here. Oh, look at that! You got Easter eggs too, Lisa Stern. Uh, yeah, it's I a gorgeous a blue of the wall, as I might Thank add. Thank you. Yeah, TARDIS blue, you might say. Yeah. Um, yeah, come come watch us on YouTube. Uh, I understand it's, it's great. You know, a lot of people get their podcasts this way on YouTube Premium. You know, you can pause it, you can download it, you can do other stuff. Um, but you also have the option to see us if you if you really have this desire to to know what we look like. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to get them all uploaded, and uh, I, I look forward to diving in and and seeing the historical record of how much we change over the course of our <laughs> extremely random journey. I'm sure that it is, is going to be quite a lot. We'll have a few more gray hairs by the time this is over. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, and certainly compared to when we started. And by the way, we are going to get the whole back catalog on there. Let's give us some time. It takes a little time to upload video, as I've learned. Um, but uh, give us a few weeks, and pretty soon you'll be able to binge the entire three seasons so far of Pull to Open um, yeah. on YouTube. So, And, and if you have a favorite episode that you'd like us to upload faster, uh, oh, yeah. let us know. Yeah. And we'll we'll see what the the uh, interns can do. <laughs> yep, those interns, those those ogrons we have in the basement. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Without further ado, I think it's oh time. Oh my god! Yes, not We've enough. We've got so much, week. so much to talk about with the deadly assassin. We do. That let's just get right to it. And as regular listeners know, we kick off every episode of Pull to Open with. TLDW, TLDW, Too Long Doctor Who, Too Long Didn't Watch, Too Long Did Watch, uh, but it was mm-hmm. a long, long time ago. Um, so to refresh your memories, if you're an old Who fan, or if you've never seen The Deadly Assassin and would like to know, well, hey, what what's this all about? Why is it such a renowned story in Doctor Who history? Uh, we are going to summarize the whole thing for you in, we give uh, 30 seconds per classic who episode and right. 50 seconds per uh, one minute per new who um so that means that pete it is your turn this week is, yep. and you Balls have a whole court. a whole two minutes a, a luxurious amount of time okay in two which minutes. to summarize the entire mm-hmm. deadly assassin so i think i can do this i yeah. think because there's a lot of stuff i don't have to get into all the world building that happens here because there's a lot and There's I'm so much world to, building. Try That's to kind of what it's famous story. for. But yeah, yeah in, in terms of the story, it's quite simple. Uh, episode three is sort of famously different, and we'll get to that. So I think you're basically getting a free 30 seconds there uh, while, while the Doctor <laughs> is uh, doctoring about in the Matrix. So uh, let's get to it. Yeah. Peter, are, you, are you ready? You've, you've closed all your windows. You're not looking at any episodes. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone to the Finder and mm-hmm. hidden others, so I can't even see you. I see nothing. There are no tabs open, uh, going purely from memory. And yeah. You um, see nothing except you have a premonition of a presidential assassination. Uh-huh, a premonition of getting through these two minutes without <laughs> uh, stumbling too much. Uh, okay. I think you're going to be in it. two minutes. I'm going to hell or high water. It's going to be done. All right, I'll give you a countdown. You ready? Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so the doctor comes back to Gallifrey because he has just seen in his mind an assassination of the Lord President. So he gets there, he sneaks out of the TARDIS while the Chancellor Guard and Time Lords are trying to get in. Um, and so then he, but one of the guards gets killed by someone he doesn't see. And then they, he's, people are trying to track down the doctor because they're blaming him for the murder, but he's sneaking around. He disguises himself as a time Lord and, uh, tr- thinks that he's, he's the, the president, this is when the president's going to get assassinated. So he's, he's, while they're, they're waiting for the president to come out, he comes out in the panoptica and the doctor goes up to stop the assassin, but ends up picking up the gun sees someone else with a gun, tries to shoot him. It looks like the doctor shot them, so the doctor's arrested for the assassination of the president, even though someone else uh, shot him. Um, So what they find is that it's the master who is behind this, uh, and the master has turned into this weird sort of slimy skeleton because he's sort of dying and has no more regeneration. So what the doctor does, he plugs himself into the Matrix because they believe that he has uh, corrupted uh, the Matrix and is plotting his attack from there. So he gets there, and he and the master 
Oh, no, it's not the master. See, he and the master's agent fight in the Matrix in these weird environments that look like a quarry and a a jungle. And uh, the other guy, uh, the doctor beats the other guy and uh, they he he dies. It turns out it's it's Chancellor Goth, who was going to be the next president. And uh, that guy dies. The master then tries to uh, take the Time Lords of, of the, the, the power from the Eye of Harmony, which powers Time Lord society. And uh, but he needs the sash of Rassilon to get it. So he gets it from the dead president's body. And the doctor lies to him about that sash being damaged and therefore distracts him enough to stop the master. And uh, they, he gets kicked off Gallifrey. The master is ostensibly dead, but he's not. The master and also escapes in his TARDIS just as the doctor leaves. Just about. Yes. Yes. I think you judges. Got it. Yep. <laughs> judges. Think... Don't get me goth. I don't want him judging this. Get me a real judge. Uh, you know what? What I'll say in uh, in true Cardinal Barusa style is I'll give you nine out of ten for that. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's like an A, maybe minus, I guess. Yeah, uh, you you spent rather more time in the Matrix than I expected. Uh, so did I. Yeah, I had to correct myself, and then it was like what it looked like somehow seemed relevant. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a quarry. Uh, uh, it's it's a jungle. It's, at least I it's... didn't mention the clown. Oh God, the clown. Yeah. My goodness, the the show really needs a trigger warning anytime it, it throws a clown in. That was definitely definitely a scarier clown than we encountered in the God Complex. I remember being really freaked out by that clown when I saw it yeah. as a kid, and it didn't hit me as hard this time. But I was like, okay, what? <laughs> like that's a weird one. It does. I mean, the, the reason I feel it deserves a trigger warning is it just completely comes out of nowhere. Like you've got yeah. we've got snakes, we've got spiders, we've got uh, you know uh, jungle hunting safari dude. Uh, we've got a guy in a gas mask. We've got a weird train and a clown. Mm-hmm. Like where, where does that come in? I feel like those gas mask guys might have inspired the Doctor dances, empty child stuff because mm. it definitely got some vibes. And it's always scary. Like it, you know it implies war it implies disease um certainly the fact that you can't see the person underneath uh, it's all very 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 freaky well while we're talking about that let's let's deal with with episode three uh which Hmm. is sort of famous in a lot of ways first of all it is kind of the the most dialogue light episode of doctor whoever Hmm. right it's it's almost this kind of weird dream that they were going for, uh, you know, Philip Hinchcliffe, the producer kind of said, you know, this was his third season. He's like, why not? Why don't we try something different? There's like lots of shout outs. There's that the plane attack is clearly a uh, reference to North by Northwest. Um, right. that is actually a plane that was used in, uh, Indiana Jones and the last crusade as well. That, that very same plane. Um, Oh yeah. The biplane service. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember that. Well, yeah, the exact same plane? Or the exact, exact same type of plane? The exact same plane. Wow. A, I did not know that plane. piece of trivia. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm full of trivia on the, the Deadly Assassin right now that I'm all going to forget five minutes after we record the show. But but yeah, that's, yeah, that's the lack piece of dialogue of really struck me. Mm. And I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things that it feels so different from Doctor Who, and I think it's partly a consequence of having no companions in this episode. Yeah. So there's no one there to kind of either ask the doctor or any of the other characters who are apparently in control that like what's going on, like tell us what like, what's happening or showing some support or sort of advancing the story in some um, with in some way with dialogue. 
um, which I think it works as kind of like I'm unsettled already ready. And I'm also mm-hmm. even more unsettled because this doesn't even feel like the show I usually watch. The thing is, I will say it, 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 it here in 2022, I did mm-hmm. feel the episode did drag. It went on it, too long. Yeah, It does drag a bit, but the thing I like about the third episode and about the deadly assassin in general is it is doctor who at its most unafraid to be experimental and mm, change everything true. that went before. And we'll get into the, the, you know, it was controversial at the time because it, it added so much to Time right. Lord lore and seemed to contradict what we knew about the Time Lords and even about TARDISes in the past. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, the show was of an age where it could just do that. Uh, mm. It was, you know, still sort of gutsy and, and vital. Uh, we, we mentioned last week, this was exactly 10 years before trial of a time lord right so we zip back a decade and we see a show that is confident it is creative it is the opposite of everything it was in the the trial of a, a, a time lord era where it was sort of fighting for its life and kind of running out of ideas and retreading old ground um this was unafraid to be new and one interesting thing uh, you may have noted this when when you uh went to deadly assassin in the codex it is almost exactly halfway through the run of classic who just by oh, stories yeah it's it's at the dead center and it's only here at the center of of classic who that we discover you know so much that we've wondered about about the, the doctor's past and about gallifrey um and it's sort of a, a nice nice pivot point to look at the whole of of doctor who from um, yeah but the third episode was extremely experimental and perhaps a little too experimental in that it sort of famously ended with this drowning scene Mm-hmm. Uh, which in which uh, Chancellor Goff holds the Doctor's head underwater for quite some time, and mm. we didn't know how much until it was restored for home video because the BBC actually bowed to pressure and took out a number of seconds of that drowning. Um, yeah, which it honestly makes me think I might not have ever seen the original version until now, yeah. because seeing it in Canada, like obviously I saw it years later, years after it was first broadcast. So I, I was certainly getting the neutered version mm. and I was kind of looking forward to it uh, as I was uh, queuing this up for the podcast. And, you know, as as with so many things here when you sort of look back here in 2022 like what, what was the big deal again you know so, you're, <laughs> you're just yeah, that's I mean, how you're it, feeling people kind of thought of that some people thought that at the time uh, so it was basically what it was there was a, a pressure group in britain called the national viewers and listeners association right uh, basically the christian Gore of britain, I guess. yeah yeah uh their mission was to clean up tv and their, their leader was that their secretary mary whitehouse who's sort of every church yeah. lady Every interfering possible <laughs> church lady you've ever imagined, uh, all all in one person, Mary Whitehouse, and uh, she was she was actually banned from from appearing on the BBC because she was such a such a busybody. But she wrote a letter, and supposedly, according to this letter, a five year old boy had had watched the uh, the scene where Goff drowns the Doctor, and was said to have told his mother what he would do to his younger brother. Uh, if his younger brother irked him, which was, I shall hold his head under the bathwater until he's still, like the man did with Doctor Who. <laughs> okay. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I may <laughs> slot that into the Jeopardy category of things that never happened for five Yeah, that sounds like so by the numbers. 
uh, yeah. as for like the thing that you would be concerned about, uh, you know, I, it sounds pretty made up to me. Um, but they 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 gave into it and they yeah. they decided to cut it and and uh, Hinchcliffe went on TV to defend it on you know one of the BBC shows and and that was basically it for Hinchcliffe. Yeah, well, ultimately, this is kind of what led him to be fired, right? Like he. Yeah. He, um, did, how long, much longer did he go after this one? Like, did he finish this season out? I can't even remember, but it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you, 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 this period of Doctor Who, like take it while you can, mm. because it does change, uh, remarkably within a year. Um, there was certainly yeah. still a lot of that darkness that violence with uh the, we already did talents of wang chiang right um some of the other leela episodes but it's like a, a switch was flipped when they finally got to the key to time um right. where things were much you know sunnier um the tone was different and you had things like the androids of tara which we did uh, a few months back and it you know more still great stuff but really a completely different tone of the show yeah, so it was actually in 1977 he was moved. It was uh, billed as a sideways move uh, hmm. that he would go and uh, do scripts for the adult police thriller Target. And then uh, uh, wow. Graham Target. Williams. It, yeah, it was a police thriller <laughs> series. And then Graham Williams was actually the guy who created that series. So he moved over and became Hinchcliffe's replacement. So, yeah, and, hmm. and it was definitely this. This was the prime mover for that. And we could have had a lot more uh, Philip Hinchcliffe without this, without this particular uh, story. So yeah, a pivot well, point in more ways than one. I had heard that Tom Baker was um, had I forget what the phobia is, aquaphobia. Basically, he was had a fear of drowning. Huh. So when he did this scene, he was very um, he was not acting. <laughs> I guess as he was wow. struggling. Um, I, I had no idea. That's that's sort of it, it's of a piece with what we learned about Inferno, right? That the Pertwee had a fear of heights. Mm -hmm. uh, so this just seems to be a thing in Doctor Who. You take the thing that your Doctor actor is most afraid of, you know, their Room One Hundred One, and you just insert <laughs> into the script. Yeah, um, I, I didn't quite get. I got to say, when they resolved the cliffhanger in Episode mm -hmm. Four, it, mm -hmm. it kind of looked to me like Goth just sort of stops, yeah. and I kind of was like, well, wait a minute, why, like. Why are you stopping? <laughs> like, like, uh, is he dead? Did you check? Uh, wouldn't you want to kind of keep holding him down there until you're sure? Uh, you being that, a murderer and a bad the, guy. Episode four. There is kind of a theme throughout the episode. Uh, <laughs> is he dead? Did you check? Because <laughs> of course, the <laughs> I think same it, thing happens with the master. If they were still naming individual episodes at this point, that's what this is definitely what episode four <laughs> should be should be called. Um, but let's let's rewind a little bit and mm -hmm. let's go let's maybe start at the beginning so this is like yep. there's there's so much conveyed right from the get-go that this is you're in for an epic journey so the the opening scroll and narration uh i believe the first and only time the show does this specifically Correct. like it's it's done other interesting things um here and there i like remembrance of the daleks notably it was had a cold open before they were cool but uh, it's a very unusual thing for the Doctor Who to sort of mess with the opening in this way. And they clearly knew that they had uh, a bit of a corker and something that was going to set a tone and set sort of a new standard or, or do a ton of... Uh, well, basically, they, they knew they had an epic. And they really tried to convey that. Do you think it works? 
It's it's a little bit of a weird choice looking back on it. It's it's a very sort of uh, BBC thing to do to make a serial more epic. You'd you'd have that roll up and you'd have the narration over it. Uh, interesting thing about it is it, it, this this sort of obviously this this precedes um, Star Wars. Yeah, by a few but months, it, it right? Does it does have a very you know. Uh, interesting connection because so so it, it reads through the millennia the time laws of gallifrey led a life of ordered calm protected against all threats from levels civilization by their great power which sort of feels to me a lot like you know for over a thousand generations the jedi the uh, <laughs> guardians of peace and order in the galaxy um and but yeah the, the fact that tom baker narrates it kind of takes you out of it a little bit uh yeah interesting choice there weird Weird oh. choice. Doctor Who, the TV movie, opens with narration, not with a a roll up. But so that that's oh, that's true. Maybe an homage to this. Um, yeah, it was an interesting choice. I feel like, to some extent, from what I've heard in the background, anyway, Tom Baker. Uh, it's hard to hard to knock him on this, but he he did sound like he was getting a little arrogant in the role at this point because he did he he thought that the companionless episode was a good idea because yeah. he, he could lead the show on his own. That's kind of what he felt. And I don't know if that's a reaction to um, any anything personal with any companion. I'm sure he didn't have any issue with Liz Sladen, who was the person before this, but um, could, to my knowledge, could have an could, issue right? with Liz Sladen. Um, um, so like, uh, you kind of almost think like, what what are you doing, man? <laughs> I think that's the, the show is, is you with, you know, lovely assistant. And yeah, um, yeah, I well, don't know. Tom Baker, love him. I mean, love him to death. I don't know if you've you've heard uh, who is the Do- or read who is the Doctor, his his autobiography. Uh, no. But you definitely get the sense of kind of a kind of a loner, kind of a mm-hmm. uh, solipsistic guy. You know, he he uh, loves being in the spotlight and all of that. But you know, as as often happens behind the scenes with people who do that, like once they're off stage, they're, they're very sort of uh, you know. Uh, weird, weirdly loner-ish, you know, the way you wouldn't expect. Uh, so he did say to Hinchcliffe and to Robert Holmes, who's the script editor, um, you know, why, why do I even need a sidekick? Uh, I can just talk to myself. <laughs> Literally said that. Can't I talk to myself? Um, and Hinchcliffe is like, well, okay, we're going to disprove. You know, I, I'm going to let you have this one story where you're on your own, and it's going to show you that you're wrong. Uh, and of course, it actually doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's interesting. You know, again, it speaks to the sense of they were being super experimental, right. and experimental to the point where an experiment is suggested by the kind of the ego of your of your star. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you want to placate him a little bit. And say, okay, you know, we're going to try it your way, Tom, and we'll see what happens. See what happens when we put on an episode where there's no one talking and you're just by yourself. Yeah, and somehow it totally works. Yet for some reason they never did it again. Um, yeah, because they did. I like just to be clear. I, I thought the opening scroll was great. Like I, I mm. feel like the narration and the scroll. Uh, again, it looks silly by today's standards because it's clearly on this roller, right? So, like, honestly, yeah. even by standards of Star Wars, it looks a little silly, but. Um, I thought it was like, whoa, like it's really unusual. There, uh, you know, it really sets the tone for something epic, and it's it's sets the tone not just for something epic. It the the, the mere mention of time lords, mm. like you think, okay, this is going to be delicious. Like I'm ready for a feast because if you're go doing something like not just talking about time lords, but doing it on Gallifrey, 
right? Which we've yeah. barely seen in the series. And think about it. Like, this is 1976. This is 13 years or so into Doctor Who. And, you know, we've had hints of other TARDISes. We've seen Gallifrey a little bit here and there. But now we're just... Did, we're, did we're we see it in the Three Doctors? Right I can't remember what... Yeah, you see, you see a little bit of Gallifrey, but no one ever really goes there. Like, other yeah. than the Time Lords, they're just there directing the Doctor. So you 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 get a little bit of it, almost like in the same way that Day of the Doctor showed Gallifrey, but um, didn't have the Doctor really on it except for the barn stuff. Um, right. It is. I mean, I, I got to say, my my primary impression of the Deadly Assassin, uh, watching it again, is how amazing it makes Gallifrey look on a very tight budget, mm-hmm. and I think they did it by putting most of that budget into the costumes. True. The costumes look incredible at every point. The guards uh, just look so wonderfully Buck Rogers esque. Yeah, um, and it just you kind of really believe that that Gallifrey's a place uh, with you know all the effort that's put into it. And those those impractical headdresses have mm. become so iconic. I mean, they're they're still they're, like you look at them; they shouldn't work, but they do. Uh, they're yeah. they're so distinctive. I mean that that you you see that that. <laughs> that crazy collar and the, the pointed um, stuff coming out of the back and you instantly know, Oh, time Lords, you know, like this is it. Uh, and uh, the, the colors that they throw in there with the robes and there's different houses, which they've never really done a hell of yeah. a lot with, but um, yeah, it's all very interesting. To, there's so uh, much world building going on here. Shout out to the designer, James Aitchison, who's the one who uh, created those, those iconic colors that have been used ever since. Mm. And uh, you know he was disillusioned by the uh, the lack of budget he received, and actually left the BBC <laughs> during the course of production. Um, but he he later shows up in uh, Dangerous Liaisons, uh, Restoration, The Last Emperor. He, he wow, he finally has... got the budgets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, really had a we, standard. You you've got to imagine that this was in his clip reel, right? This is what yeah. I can do for you on no money at all. Just imagine what would happen if you could me a little bit of money as well. Well, I even um, like the variations. I'm not to digress too much, but like mm-hmm. what the we just did the Inquisitor in yeah. uh, Mysterious Planet, and that's uh, like I like her sort of more muted version of it. Yeah. You can kind of do things with it that are interesting. Uh, even the Cybermasters, I might be the only person who likes the Cybermasters, but I thought I, that I was really like, cool. I kind of like, yeah, the, the Cyber Time Lords from Timeless Children. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I like those too. That was one of, I was just about to say that, that was one of the best parts of that episode was just the design of, of the Cyber Time Lords. Um, we, we may have more to say on uh, the connection between this and the Timeless Child. Uh, we may. Timeless Children. Um, we want to get into all the, all the Gallifreyan. We shouldn't. Maybe we could do a quick audit of all the things that are first here. I mean, this yes. is the first time we uh, hear that the Time Lords have twelve regenerations explicitly. There's the first mention of the Celestial Intervention Agency, which right. is apparently the people who have been bossing the Doctor around here and there when they want him to do things for them. Um, yeah, and that was that was by the way, it's it's just one mention at the start, and of course it, it's explored a lot more in uh, in other media. But that was just uh, Hinchcliffe uh, saying that he wanted the equivalent of a CIA conspiracy with yeah. echoes of the Kennedy assassination, and literally got that acronym in there, <laughs> yeah. which is which is funny. <laughs> um, Little two on the nose, Mister Hinchcliffe. Yeah, I like the um, the idea. Like it, it it sort of solves the contradiction of the time lords do not intervene 
except mm-hmm. when they do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're constantly telling the doctor to do things when they're like, well, we're strictly non-interventionists. So even though we don't hear about them, we kind of, I, I kind of get the need for this uh, yeah. from a show perspective. They, they show up everywhere. As we know, they, they were in uh, Terror of, there's a Time Lord in, in a bowler hat in Terror of the Autons, right? We've mm-hmm. been there, uh, randomly showing up on Earth. There's the Time Lord that appears in Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, telling telling the doctor, you know, oh hey, by the way, you got to go off and commit a little bit of genocide. Um, there's the time in Attack of the Cybermen, yeah. and there's a, there's not a Time Lord there, but they talk about oh the the Time Lords would surely send someone to stop the Cybermen from doing this, and it's like, well, they had, someone just looks at the doctor. I think it's a cryon, like, hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. maybe you. Maybe that's why you're here, bro. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you know uh, Hinchcliffe and Holmes thought that they were sort of rewriting uh, Time Lord history of this, kind of making them more more clearly, um, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, assholes. Yeah, with their non-interventionist stance, kind of uh, similar to again go back to Star Wars, kind of similar with the way that Lucas was sort of rewrite rewrite the Jedi in the prequels. Yeah, exactly. Being you know stuffy and uh, disconnected. Totally, totally. So just to quickly run through the audit of things that are first mm-hmm. here. First mention of the Matrix and the APC net. Yep. Um, the first reference to Rassilon, who obviously... Yes. <laughs> Founder. Yes, who we, we eventually see many times. Uh, but he, it's like you can't not mention him now when you have a Time Lord story. So yeah. that, that was He huge. only actually shows up one time in, in Old Who, and of course famously played by Timothy Dalton mm-hmm. uh, in New Who. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then the the actor whose name I forget in Hellbent, where we've also been, where we we first came across Rassilon in our journey. Uh, but yeah, go 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 ahead with the other. First. Yeah, so the first time we hear about the Eye of Harmony, which is mm-hmm. apparently the Time Lord's source of their power and their mastery of time, it's the first reference to Stasers, which I kind of wonder what a laser is a acronym. So here's here's my my theory on what staser might be an acronym for space and time amplification by stimulated emission of radiation that wow nice i (laughs) i I like you know you know i bet i bet susan foreman came up with that acronym well it also speaks to why they have completely different effects and abilities on whatever they shoot depending on the story (laughs) Um, sometimes they have a stun setting sometimes they don't sometimes they kill things and destroy things sometimes they don't you know it's uh so you, know. you don't want to mess with the time lords because you never know what their stays will do next uh, maybe they don't they don't even know so um, it's the, also the first mention of artron energy which became mm-hmm. a staple of all sort of time lord technology yeah um and there's a couple of other things they they mentioned the shabogans which they fully explore in the invasion of time uh they a cute little reference to mutter spiral which is apparently their name for the milky way uh, and there's there's a neat bit where the doctor actually leaves a note in the TARDIS, yes. and they show the the note for a second, and it's clearly this weird language, which I thought was really cool. And it honestly looked a little to me, it looked like a cross between like either Arabic and Morse code. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I think that's that's a, a fair description of what it is. Uh, obviously, we didn't have the the Gallifreyan language yet. I think that sort of partly came from the the Gallifreyan seal that we see in this episode, which is actually right. just reused from, from a Cyberman story, mm-hmm. uh, but would become the, the Time Lord's seal to the point where the BBC has actually copyrighted that that uh, image. 
uh, all because they just <laughs> they were looking around for a prop. And, hey, it's, it's <laughs> well, so much stuff ended around. up like it's, it's a different story. But I remember in the Five Doctors, there's a bunch of they call something old high Gallifreyan, which is apparently mm. not this language, the old language, and it's it's like tons of Greek letters. And you're like, wait a minute, I I think that's just epsilon, guys, you know and <laughs> But then there's all these fan theories now, I guess, of like, oh, is there a secret link between humanity and Time Lord civilization that they sort of share this ancient mm. language? Maybe. Um, I kind of like the idea that the Doctor, who is sort of basically revealed in this um, story to be a public schoolboy who is just sort of, you know, uh, kind of the black sheep of his house, um, you know, the, yeah. that he would basically be writing that note in the equivalent of a public school boy, private schools for you Americans, a uh, public school boy <laughs> in Britain, you know, just l- like learning Greek and showing off his Greek. So, you well, know. Let's get into sort of some of the inconsistencies here and what, or, you know, how it contradicted things previous and then ended up being contradicted later uh, yeah. and sort of, sort of sort of the interesting deviations here in The Deadly Assassin. So, there's a cool little bit in the uh, A History Guides that I've mentioned before on the podcast where they describe this episode as one of the sort of turning points in the series. Because there are certain episodes of Doctor Who that essentially retcon things. And this definitely does that. And fans will... The, the consensus emerges on whether the new episode should be taken a, as gospel Hmm. or if it should be kind of, is it bad and forgotten? This is definitely one that was taken as gospel. Everyone took very seriously the 12 Regenerations right off the bat. Um, they did, but they also uh, disputed it. I mean, this is just yeah, sort huh. of in the nature of fandom. Yeah. Uh, there is, uh, Doctor Who magazine has a, a, a record of a wonderfully outraged response um, from uh, the the president of the uh, Doctor Who uh, fan club, I think, who who said... What has happened to the magic of Doctor Who? Uh, in a, you know, in a, a newsletter uh, article headlined "Deadly Continuity," um, <laughs> I think I love basically it. it just sort of they they felt that it, it wiped over what we learned from the war games, but it kind of seems you know that the the Time Lords were just sort of officious assholes in in war games as well, right? You know, just sort of mm-hmm. putting the Doctor on trial, giving him a new face. Well, sending well, his companions back. The main thing that I, I do want to get to, and we can talk about it now, is that like they previously were godlike and immortal, and now yeah. they're limited yes. to twelve regenerations, and they are much more human. And that's that's actually the main thing. Like the twelve, whatever. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. But the fact that Gallifreyan society is depicted as essentially a bickering English aristocracy uh, with Machiavellian politics, you know, I love it. <laughs> but yeah. I could see why if you're revering this hero and you know his people in some way, you might sort of act with a little bit of revulsion at that. I, I, I get it. Um, but I do like kind of what they're sort of saying here about, you know, Gallifreyan society, you know, them kind of being assholes and having like just kind of uh, terribly self-centered and very like almost dysfunctional politics. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very privileged society, mm. as well represented by the fact that they're yeah, good all white males. Um, <laughs> True. 
Although there's and, one moment, I mean, when the doctor's like there in the Panopticon in like the end of episode yeah. one, they're like, I feel like I, I the, the Time Lord is like looks almost like he's in blackface. I, I, I mean, I, like the guy who walks by, it's like he's got yeah. this weird tan and this weird makeup, and I'm like, are they? Is that? What are they doing? Like, I don't think I, it was intentionally that way, but it was like, okay, that, oh that was a poor choice. Yeah, I mean, if if that is the case, it, it was prime time for blackface on uh, <laughs> BBC in the mid seventies. We had the black and white minstrel show. It's very very shameful era of BBC history. Oh, but um, so, there's also yeah, no would, women in this episode. Notably, there isn't yep. a single female character. So, yeah, the least diverse episode of Doctor Who is the Deadly Assassin. I mean, there's one skeleton like guy, so I guess there's that, right? Yeah, yeah, it does does definitely gives you the the fusty atmosphere of a of a public school to Parliament pipeline, uh, as there has been for much of British history, and and still is in a lot of ways, given our current uh, very very public school educated uh, Prime Minister. Um, but anyway, so, the, the politics yeah. part of this, I think, really works, even though it's if you you're not given quite enough time to be hypercritical of it. And we can we can be a little more critical maybe here. But uh, I thought the idea that there's this it's almost like uh, I said aristocracy, but it's almost like a monarchy. I mean, there's so much power in the president and the high council. I mean, the Goss uh, essentially, you know, almost sentences the doctor right away. It says there's going to be an immediate trial, which I guess the president can just declare whoever's standing in for him. And then he's kind of the judge too. And plus they torture the doctor. And so during this, you know, it's all like, it's very disturbing. If you think like, wait a minute, this is like a, you know, kind of a totalitarian legal system. It feels like. Yeah. This is definitely of a piece with the disillusionment of the seventies, the the post Kennedy assassination, post Watergate feel. Um, They were, they were quite open about having based this on the Manchurian candidate. Mm. the storyline and then they sort of you know they they wanted something manchurian candidate ish and then they said well what's the perfect society for this to happen in the time lords Mm. um because they were also you know wanted to reference the kennedy assassination with the the second gunman you know right who isn't the doctor uh it's very similar to the parallax view which came out in 1974 um actually interestingly i don't think you could get away with doing this today because episode one of uh the deadly assassin was broadcast i think on the on actual election day 1976 election day in the u.s uh where jimmy carter defeated gerald ford so i think these days you'd be a lot more sensitive about an episode showing the assassination of a president on an on a presidential election day uh you know sort of that's doctor who being a victim of its new transatlantic success there uh but yeah, very interesting timing. But definitely, they they were. This was prime disillusionment era, and you know, we thought that the CIA was responsible for everything, and everything was conspiracy, and nobody could be believed. And if if the president, in the shape of Richard Nixon, could could lie in the way that he did, then you know, nothing's for certain anymore. And you know, people mm-hmm. were questioning the higher ups and the hierarchies. Well, um, and you you kind of look at the characters, and you have sort of Spandrel, who's the most competent. Mm. of of all the sort of time lords that we meet uh engen is kind of you know he's, he's almost engen is almost a companion right like he's kind of there yeah. and he's he's sort of helping out so then you have goth who's secretly evil definitely out for himself and is super arrogant and you know very very entitled very entitled um yeah. 
And but I would say that the person who I uh, sort of delight in the most in this sort of weird political menagerie is is Barusa. Like yep. that guy steals every scene he's in. And his cynical politics, uh, it's just dripping from his dialogue where he uh, states that, oh, the, you know, this, the, he's told all this stuff happened. And he's like, no, no, we're going to we're going to rewrite that. And we're going to the, the story we're going to tell is that God saved yeah. everybody. So he get on totally board. retcons it. And he yeah. totally fake news is it. And and there's, there's this there's sort of the ultimate cynicism right at the end. And, and even the doctor accedes to this notion that, oh, you have to create a hero and you have to create a villain. And even, you know, participates in creating the official Time Lord biography of the Master, mm-hmm. right, to, to make him more villainous, even though the, the Doctor is sort of like, you know, as he always has been with the Master, a little more sympathetic, a little more understanding of of who he is and what he's been through, you know, as a, as a fellow renegade. So, yeah, mm. it's, it's fascinating. I kind of... You know, we, we've talked about weird political setups uh, before with the androids of Tara. Yeah. Do you remember when the uh, the king has to actually get to his coronation, otherwise someone else can intervene? Yeah, he's well, got to be on time. Know, exactly. He's got to be on time, which makes you think, you know, I think I even said during that episode, like, if all that uh, Trump had to do to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president was just like <laughs> stop him from getting to the Capitol. Make I sure think... his Uber got lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, presidential elections would be a lot different. And again, here, apparently we, we learn that if you if you just assassinate the president, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, as, as Goff, Goff can just sort of jump into his position temporarily and, and take charge of things, you kind of feel like that would have happened before we we have this dialogue right. between two time lords who sort of say, oh, you know, that there, there was a chancellor who lasted for five hundred years, not these, you know, one hundred, two hundred years uh, that that we get these days, and they're sort of lamenting about the good old days. I don't think there would have been any good old days if this if this were the actual setup. You know, just shoot the president if he hasn't named you his official successor, and then there'll be an election. Right. And then you can take charge of the election. Well, Likewise, so the, the doctor gets out of this by invoking Article 17 of the right. California Constitution, which says that if you're, you know, you can just, anyone can run for president, right? And therefore he, his trial is delayed or he, yeah, he, he has to be a candidate. That's a bit of a weird system. Well, it's also a weird system. Like, I, I is there an election? Because it sounded like the president actually just picks his successor or is that just something the... Yes. The board or whatever the high council takes into account. So is it kind of like American Idol where you have (laughs) the audience vote and the judges vote and you combine them? I mean, or Uh, or is that, uh, I think that's Dancing with the Stars, but whatever. Yeah. So (laughs) apparently the, so it's presidential resignation day. If the president resigns and, and lives to tell the tale, (laughs) uh, then he gets to choose his successor. If not, there is apparently an election. We're not really told, I think, at any point what that election involves or who can vote in it. Right. Um, Probably just Time Lords, I'm guessing. You definitely get a strong sense (laughs) of a stratification in Gallifreyan society. And this is kind of where what makes it clear. I mean, I think implied before, but that the Time Lords, not like essentially all Time Lords are Gallifreyan, but not all Gallifreyans are Time Lords. So there's definitely some kind of underclass or... Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's just strongly implied by all of this because they keep referring to the Time Lords. And right. I have a and question, is, mm-hmm. is Runcible then, is he not a Time Lord? I mean, he doesn't seem like one. 
Um, he, uh, it's well. Let's talk about Runcible. Runcible the fatuous, mm. as the Doctor calls him, which may be Runcible may be the most negative portrayal of a journalist mm. in in the whole of Doctor Who. Uh, it's basically what he is. He's commentator Runcible, right? right? But he's also basically he's covering on on live TV that the Doctor is somehow watching in the TARDIS. The you know the pageantry of uh, presidential resignation day and you know the, all of the houses and their robes and blah 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 he, he's i think he's sort of designed to sound a lot like uh, david dimbleby uh, okay. before him richard dimbleby who were sort of the official commentators on any sort of uh matters right. of state in the uk the you know the coronation you know uh the, the queen's official opening of parliament blah 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 right. you know he very much adopts that sort of hushed reverential voice that the, the Prydonians are wearing their bright orange robes, exactly. not the dark orange <laughs> ones this time. So that signals a certain reverence for the proceedings. <laughs> Very well done. Right. That was yeah, I just, I'm always always stunned about how much those guys know about the fashion of the robe <laughs> when they're doing it. I just figured the same thing here. Like, a, yeah, exactly. Because what else are you going to talk about hats. for hours? Well, while everyone is filing in. But yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of shown to be a poor journalist, right? Mm. He, who just attempts to get an interview with Goff and is completely cowed by by Chancellor Goff uh, in in this interview attempt, and it's very sort of obsequious. So, oh, oh yes, um, just a few words, sir. I'm sorry, sir. You well, know. The, was that Barusa? Because Barusa is like really just slams him. He's like, "Good lord, yeah. Runcible." And oh yes, that's right. It is Barusa it's, it's, who, yeah, who does this, this dripping contempt. It is like yeah. you didn't you didn't really do well in my classes, Runcible, and I'm not going to give you any time here. And yeah, the nepotism is off the charts, isn't it? It's just everyone everyone's been to school together. Well, then and then he barely recognizes the doctor. So apparently, yeah, they they went to school together, and mm. um, <laughs> there's there's kind of a neat bit of dialogue that I think is very memorable, where they're like, "Say, have you had a facelift? You know, several so far." And it's one of the first times you get that kind of sense. And I, I like the familiarity with these. Like, this is the cool thing when the doctor goes back to Gallifrey. It's like everything that's kind of cool and special about him suddenly becomes ordinary. And oh yeah, yeah, I, I get it. You've regenerated. Or the, even when he lands the TARDIS, which is usually an impenetrable fortress for him, all they have to do is just get the key from key yeah. uh, Time Lord uh, TARDIS key central, get the master key and we can get into this thing. Um, so it just all becomes like, okay, he's just, he's just another dude here. I came to expected one of them to to snap their fingers since we've just been to Science of the Library Forest of the Dead and like, oh yeah, you can actually just you know Time Lord can just come along instead of a master key just snap his fingers open the door <laughs> of the TARDIS. Um, but snap let, to let's open. talk about that <laughs> snap to open new name of the podcast everyone for when we go on Snapchat. Um, no, well let's talk about what Runcible says because mm -hmm. I actually have some new headcanon that I'm excited to share with you. Because okay. Runcible says, have you had a facelift? Not a regeneration. Mm -hmm. You know, even though regeneration is used elsewhere in this episode, we talk about the Masters, you know, uh, being at the end of his regeneration cycle. So they know the word. It's clearly present in Doctor Who at this time. Right. But Runcible says facelift. Now, what this made me wonder, in, in common with the fact that we, we talked last week about the curator, right. you know, the Doctor's future regeneration ways, revisiting one of his old favorite faces, I wonder if William Hartnell's doctor, if when he was young, if he didn't look quite a lot like Tom Baker. Hmm. Because that would explain why Runcible just says a facelift 
not not a regeneration, but a facelift. So, like, he looks like a younger version of himself. Yeah. Mm. So, and that would explain then why, in later life, the Doctor goes and chooses the same face again because it's his favorite. Because maybe it's actually his first. Hmm. Because you know, you know, put put a put a uh, curly haired wig on William Hartnell, give him a bright toothy <laughs> grin, you know, make him less irascible, and um, perhaps you've some, got yeah, perhaps you've got Tom Baker. I don't know. I think you'd have to put some some toothpicks in the eyelids too, like the <laughs> yeah. bulg, bulging Tom Baker eyes. That's the one thing I would say Hartnell lacks. But yeah. otherwise, I think it might check out. Like I think you could you could passively do that. I think if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, I always just took facelift to be slang for regeneration, but that's an interesting thought. I like yeah, that. So it's, uh, like a, I, it, it's almost like it's not necessarily, it is still a regeneration. It's a certain type of regeneration. Yeah. Like when you visit an old favorite, you get a facelift. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. he does. Because it, it is a thing that Runcible mentions almost casually at the end of talking to the doctor. He kind of does a double take and looks mm-hmm. to him like, have you had a facelift? Whereas you would expect the doctor to be so completely un- unrecognizable in this regeneration that nobody would have, have recognized him from, from school uh, at all. Right. Um, well, but but they do. So it's very interesting. I think they we have do, to deal but with it. I also like, like, it, it, speaking of recognizing the doctor, one of the things about this episode I found interesting, which seems to contradict everything before and actually since. But it, what I really liked about it, though, was that the doctor isn't even known. Like, Spandrel doesn't know who he is, mm. Engen doesn't know who he is, Goth only knows who he is because the master tells him i mean that yeah. and we could talk a little bit about goth and whether he's the same guy from the war games because it's it's a little bit unclear but it's like I, I like that he's not like this massive figure in time lord society at this point you know yeah. and then which he later becomes and kind of was before even you know it seems like he's the one renegade the one dude that they you know have a have a thing for and yeah, how how could they not have heard of his banishment to Earth? How could they not have heard of him attempting yeah. to wipe out the entire Dalek race? Uh, well, yeah, I, it, <laughs> I like it because it, it sort of emphasizes the story, the point they're trying to make, which is it's this complacent society that's disinterested in mm. the universe it apparently lords over. Um, I also just like the idea of the Doctor uh, not being that special in a... Um, sort of predetermined way, which uh, I think puts the onus on the character in the writing to make him special. So in other words, like mm. he's just a regular guy in an antique TARDIS in, uh, on, on Gallifrey, but we know as viewers, like he's not. Like he's, what makes him special is his cunning, his personality, the fact that he has all this experience and he shows that in this episode. So yes, he actually is an exceptional Time Lord, but not for some reason uh that you know like whether he's the timeless child or whatever or the lord president he's just this Mm. guy you want around when there are serious universe threatening things afoot as there often are so i I did like like that sort of implication there that he he he's a he's kind of an ordinary guy who's just risen to the occasion um so i like to think that there was you know once uh Runcible is, is of course killed in this, and and uh, we we may presume that this uh, leads to a revolution in Gallifreyan uh, media, and uh, <laughs> all of a sudden there's way more news coverage, and maybe there's even a documentary on the Doctor that 
kind of makes him famous or, you know, maybe a, uh, a 20 part mini series. Hey, how about a podcast? Gallifrey, Limited series. HBO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Suddenly the Gallifreyans start listening to podcasts and get them piped in through those collars, uh, little, little earphones in the side for all these boring Gallifreyan uh, ceremonies. And uh, yeah, they, they're listening to the Gallifreyan equivalent to pull to open and they're suddenly discovering who this guy is. <laughs> well, it'd be the doctor um, experience, right? Yeah. Or the- I wonder if this, you know, of course we have to expand our brains even further, right? And, and fit this all within the timeless child mythos now. And I, I wonder well, if this we? sort of happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, in terms of headcanon, I'm kind of curious, is, is this something that sort of happens to the doctor every time he or she goes through right. a regeneration cycle, right? And that's why they have to, uh, Division had to come along, keep keep wiping the Doctor's memories every, you know, I don't know what, 12 regenerations or so, right? Because he just sort of, he or she gets too big for their boots, too well-known. And, um, but do they wipe you know. everyone else's memory or is everyone just <laughs> playing along? Like, oh, <laughs> the Doctor, right? Who are you? Oh my, an old TARDIS. Oh, we've never seen this before. I love it. Gallifrey, Gallifrey is the Truman Show. Oh god, <laughs> it's always the same guy named Spandrel. Maybe maybe there's like several Gallifreys. This is the thing, right? So like maybe that wow. could we could bring back another Gallifrey that's different with another Doctor in the future, and that maybe that gets away from the whole Master destroyed everything. I, I hope we do. It it is very interesting, isn't it? Watching the Deadly Assassin in the wake of Spyfall, in the wake mm. of learning that the Master had just randomly destroyed Gallifrey without off screen, <laughs> without us ever hearing anything about it. That sort of meets its parallel here in yeah. this episode, where right at the end, he came this master, close, <laughs> this he close, almost did destroy all the Time Lords. Um, and we we kind of don't see most of it. We're, we're told that half of Gallifrey is in ruins now. Yeah, and countless people killed, according to Barusa. So, like, it was a yeah. massive event, you would think. And Gallifrey in history, it's kind of surprising. It's never really referred to again. They never yeah. talk about the uh, ruinous <laughs> event of the master-doctor conflict that, you know, wrecked everything. Well, it, it does explain, assuming Barusa's story doesn't completely erase everything, you know, it... it this is why he's well known now. He'd be fairly infamous or famous, I guess. I guess if they the story comes out that he saved everybody, but Bruce yeah, seemed exactly. like he was really it, determined not to. Not but to he have only him. got nine out of ten for saving half of Gallifrey. Yeah. So, yeah, Barusa famously, famously, uh, you know, <laughs> grades on a curve uh, or doesn't grade on a curve, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's. It, it, it brings up so many fascinating things. And we should, we should talk about things that are introduced in The Deadly Assassin. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was, there's one more that I don't think you mentioned, which is the Type 40 TARDIS. Right. As they finally the specify mention. the model. <laughs> yes, they finally specify what model it is. Uh, this was, you know, for, for nerdy fans of the time, this was uh, a contradiction because in The Time Meddler... <laughs> The meddling monk is said to have a Mark IV TARDIS. Guess implying that the is, Doctor's is a Mark III. Yes. Uh, never actually stated, but that's... I kind of like the idea that the Time Laws would just change the nomenclature, you know, kind of... Well, maybe <laughs> oh, well, it's it's like a subcategory. There's like yeah. a Mark III Type 40, and he has yeah. a Mark IV Type 20. I don't know. Yeah, kind of like it's, that. It's a, it's a Type 40 Pro. <laughs> exactly it's, it's the itardis pro 
Yeah, well, it all certainly hits home. Like, that, that, have they, regardless of the model number, have they? I can't remember. Did they have they said before that the Doctor's TARDIS is old and kind of an antique until now? I that's a great well, just the fact that the the meddling monks TARDIS was said to be a later model. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and just sort of the, the fact that it goes on on the blink in an unearthly child. You know, <laughs> uh kind of yeah. kind of may may clue you in to the fact that the doctor has been sold a lemon by by Clara. Um which by the way not to jump back too far or too forward, because we still have to discuss where is the Clara Splinter in this episode, but we did last week have a letter in a review from a fan of the show who asked, you know, why are we doing the Clara Splinter if that was all just great intelligence stuff, right? That Clara was just yeah. supposed to jump into the Doctor's timeline to prevent the great intelligence from uh, messing up the Doctor's timeline and just was sort of laser pointed at all those instances. And we mentioned, well, there's, there's the... the uh, Clara right, in the Asylum, uh, asylum of the Daleks, who's uh, a girl, which which clearly contradicts that. But here's another thing that contradicts that, because we see her quite clearly telling the William Hartnell Doctor to take this beaten up old Type 40 TARDIS mm-hmm. that he's going to have a lot of fun in. That's got nothing to do with the great intelligence. Yeah. Right? So this foundational story of Doctor Who is clearly uh, created by the the, uh, the Clara Splinter. So yeah. I think another justification for us to keep doing that segment. It should. Who? Where is she? <laughs> What's where doing is now? She? That's a, like, where's the Clara Splinter in this episode? Where is the Clara Splinter in the Deadly Assassin? What is the there biggest plot hole? There's the there's the syringe, right? right? That's which the Doctor discovers, or, or one of the Time Lords discovers, that shows that the Master was faking his death, which yeah. alerts them to the Master's plan. Yeah, that's that's kind of my theory. It's either that yeah. or like the robes that the doctor gets at the beginning, like some convenient thing that just happens to be where he is. So the syringe, mm-hmm. you know, they they take their time finding it, but they do find it. And you would think the master would have disposed of it in a better way, should he, um, if, if that he was really trying to to throw them off. So. Maybe yeah. she created a trash can. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> She's Gallifrey really... needle exchange. <laughs> like basically, <laughs> the doctor, the master thought he was throwing it down the disintegrator uh, trash heap, but it actually went into Clara's like fake one, and she was able to just sort of leave it for uh, I forgot who found it, Spandrel or Engen, but one of them. Spandrel, yeah, Spandrel yeah. finds it. Yeah, that's I like that idea. Um, I don't think there are too many other plot holes in this, other than the fact. And I'm not sure Clara can fix this. The fact that the Matrix is is very Earth-like, you know, everything that the Doctor goes through in the Matrix, mm. super Earth-ish. It's got Earth dangers on it, and Earth references to trains and World War One, right? And and clowns, unless yeah. clowns are also a Gallifreyan thing. Maybe clowns are just universal and develop in every culture simultaneously. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else that that is a uh, yeah. Because I mean, she wouldn't be able to program that stuff. Mm. You would think, like in the Matrix. So I don't think she could help there. But yeah, there's just not there's not too much. The other the only other thing I kind of thought crossed my mind was, is she um, making sure the Doctor can see the gun in the Panopticon Mm. when he takes a shot? Um, I don't know. Like she'd have to have sort of pretty detailed knowledge of what's going on there and what that the sites are off or whatever, but she might have, 
Um, but like making sure that the doctor can see it, maybe she's just holding back some um, one of the Time Lords from uh, blocking his view. So. Yeah, she she obviously can't, uh, you know, act in any above the, uh, you know, above ground sort of way here because she would be immediately called out as not being a white male (laughs) member of the Time Lord elite. Um, Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, know. clever disguise. You could, you could. Maybe she's just sort of off screen at this point, uh, having a uh, tea and sympathy session with Romana Hmm. and kind of slowly talking her into the idea of uh, becoming the Doctor's companion you know, some years down the line. Or or she made sure he got that cash and carry at Constantinople. <laughs> so it was like, made sure that hookah pipe was ready and so that he would yeah. have it in the secondary control room. Because, man, there sure is a lot of smoke in episode one, I gotta say. like I was gonna say, maybe maybe she's in charge of the dry ice on Gallifrey. Yeah. <laughs> there which you go. just appears to be everywhere. Uh, hey, that's, that's one thing fans should complain creepy atmosphere stuff mm. what did you think of the halloween mask master as i've started calling him i really like this version of the master i have to say i, I do too. I, and i fast forwarded to like i went to keeper of Traken to uh to see the the later version of of the same yeah, monster that they did right it's not good yeah it's not the same as sort of the 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 creepy giant eyes the the skull-like face uh it it is definitely the most uh visually arresting form of the master and it, you know the, the fingers are sort of gross and disgusting you definitely get the sense of a a ruined creature well and the actor who i believe is um is it Peter Pratt or something Peter like Pratt, that. Yes. So yes. There, there's a certain quiveriness about him, and I'm not sure if mm. that's the costume or him, but I feel like when you look at him, he's kind of shaking or seems to be shaking a lot of the time, which actually doesn't make him seem weak. He makes him seem like a little bit like tetchy, like he's just going to go off mm. um, and like do something weird that that you might not even predict he does. I think the the... It, I could see why they did it later because I think they had um, a mask that let the actor's eyes show later in Keeper yeah. of Chalkin. Here they have, it's clearly like a mask, but I mean, it's such a creepy mask. Like those eyes are bulging out. Like it really emphasizes that, you know, this is a corpse. Like this is someone who's decaying and almost yeah. falling apart, which makes it that that much scarier. Like, because this is someone who also has nothing to lose. Like they're ready to like, like I'm already dying and I'm gross and I've I'm not here posturing anymore and I don't care about my costume. I'm just going to kill as many people as possible to achieve my plan. So yeah, I thought this master really worked. It's an interesting choice because of course it never would have happened uh without the the sad and tragic loss of Roger Delgado hmm. in a car crash in 73, I believe. Uh yeah, it was here in space right, was right his after last. That. Yeah. So, you know, we hadn't seen the master since then. And bring him back. I mean, no, no other actor. I mean, you know, Anthony Ainley, of course, would go on to make the the role his own in a slightly different way. But it would be hard for any actor to follow Delgado playing a full on master regeneration, right? right? Because he was just so unfollowable, hmm. um, so iconic in that role. So I, I like the fact that he appears. Here. I like the fact that he then isn't used for the next uh, four years. Yeah. They definitely right, didn't uh, overdo it because they they <laughs> arguably have overdone the master on yeah. both sides now. You know, both yes. of, like certainly they got a little tiresome in Pertwee's era, 
But yeah, now they've yeah, got but, so many master episodes, so many versions they, of it since yeah. they reintroduced a new. I mean, you know, I feel like they they could they could probably should dial it back a little bit after this version hopefully resolves uh, his conflict with the current Whitaker Doctor. But, but it's sort of interesting, by the way, the reason he wasn't used anymore after that is Graham Williams wasn't wasn't a fan of of the master, of the character of the master. Hmm. And I uh, thought that it was, you know, Doctor's got many villains. Why not use one of those again? Well, um, I also, I, I do feel like you can use the, do the master wrong pretty easily. And they almost yeah. do it here, right? Because the, the personal conflict between him and the Doctor gets in his way like his ego gets in his way and that's honestly the only thing i can figure out as to why he doesn't just kill the doctor and spandrel in episode four like why not just shoot them dead with that staser because he just stuns them and he's like yeah they'll be fine but they're all gonna die when i unleash the eye of harmony Mm -hmm. which is like fair enough you could have done that a little more efficiently like you could have just got it out (laughs) of the way i don't see what difference it makes if that if that's your intent but it only yeah. works if his intent is like I. I really want to gloat in front of these guys, and I want to be the all-powerful person I'm destined to be in front of them. And even if it's only for a minute, I want the doctor to know I won. Uh, and yeah. that that word, I wish it was a little more explicit here because it's like, you know, like I guess there's enough dialogue for me to hang my hat on that theory. But um, that's where I really like things like uh, when you know the new series, like the epic. Sound of Drums trilogy, mm. where you kind of see a version of the Master winning, and he 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 loves just humiliating the Doctor day after day. That's his. That's what he lives for. Um, it's kind of the Master's mo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is sort of interesting to consider the fact that had Delgado not you know uh, died in an untimely fashion in the car crash, we wouldn't have the twelve regenerations thing, right? Mm. That that was just kind of introduced to. Give the master a motive. Yeah. To give him a reason. And uh, first of all, it kind of means that the Delgado master was, was presumably, presumably there were none in between. Right. Uh, Although we we don't know for sure. I don't know what the current status of canon is, Uh, but it means that Delgado is sort of the, the ultimate final version of uh, quote unquote, final version Mm -hmm. of the master. And, uh, you know, I like the idea of, of that explaining like why he seems m- so much more advanced than the Doctor. He's been spending his regenerations wisely, learning how to do hypnosis and uh, ESP and all of that other stuff that the, the Doctor credits him with in this. Well, I was just kind of but, thought yeah. it, the implication was that he just leads a more dangerous life because he's always trying to like um, uh, take over things and be evil and hmm. probably gets his ass handed to him a little more often than he he, he would you know like uh but the uh, i like the idea that the master is such an ego uh that he he thinks he could probably walk into certain physically threatening situations and just come out on top and he's probably mm. been like shot and smacked around and you know as he's learned uh his various things in life and that he's just used up his regenerations quicker than the doctor i, I, I kind of like that theory but but yeah. Speaking of regenerations and Time Lords dying, what I found interesting, like it really struck me here, having now watched New Who for years, like we, we've arrived at a place in New Who with Time Lords where like Peter Capaldi's doctor at one point explicitly kind of says Time Lords are nearly impossible to kill. This is like in his final season where Missy was in the 
um, prison that he had, and we sort of see the story how they got there, and they they have this elaborate scenario where she's going to be executed, but they have to do all these things because she's a time lord. Um, But here, so many time lords die or come close to dying. In other words, they're afraid for their lives anyway. Um, that you you it's almost like they they completely forget <laughs> time lords can be like Goth dies in the Matrix. Um, various others are you know the president shot and there's yep. no mention made of of well he was at the end of his redemption. Now he's just shot shot by a stage. Yeah. So, so yes, it's you really Dallas, want some right? sort of equivalent of David Tennant holding holding the president in his arms, going go on regenerate right. regenerate. So you could do it. it. This is kind of a period like in Doctor Who where Time Lords and by extension the Doctor just seemed a lot more mortal, and that yeah. you felt. There, there could be more peril. I, I, in other words, I kind of prefer this. Like, I, I really missed it. I, I was reminded of it. Like, oh yeah, back in old Who, the Doctor was just a guy, and yeah, he could regenerate, but that wasn't a guarantee. Hmm. You know, it was like he could still be killed. Um, but they've kind of not really retconned that, but have decided to go in another direction of the new series. And I think it's a little bit the worst for it, honestly. Like, I feel like I, you, you don't feel peril that much when it's just the doctor in trouble you just oh just regenerate there, there is a theory that uh perhaps uh hinchcliffe and holmes were kind of looking for an early end to the entire show because mm. if you add the number of um regenerations that we'd seen of the doctor up to that point to the number of regenerations shown in the brain of morbius you get him hitting the 12 regeneration limit wow uh, so there, there would have been an easy way instead of him regenerating into Pete Davidson, just end the show, just hmm. end the show when Tom Baker leaves. So maybe they were laying the groundwork for that. I don't think they've ever said came, come out and said that, but it's an interesting coincidence. Wow, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> no Davidson doctor. I would never. Yeah. Would, there would be no pull to open. I would, would never have discounted the show. It would certainly give Legopolis a lot more of that sort of wonderful, gloomy atmosphere that mm. it has. And you know, the the Watcher could just be the final, final ruined version of the Doctor, right? And he's just it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for, and the Watcher just turns out to be ushering him on to, you know, whatever time, time Lord Lord heaven. heaven. <laughs> yeah. Join the eye. Come with me to the eye <laughs> of harmony. Speaking of the so, Eye of Harmony, like how yeah. is it the, the, the Time Lords don't even know what this is? Time Lords really are kind of ignorant of everything. Yeah. History, uh, galactic politics, uh, you know, the Doctor's role in saving civilization after civilization. Yeah, it's kind of weird. They, they don't really pay attention. Because it's funny, like we learn about Rassilon and Time Lord history and, and to a certain extent technology here. And you get the sense a bunch of the characters are for the first time as well. And it's yeah. like, okay, I, I guess. Um, it, I think it's kind of it kind of works because it it again keeps emphasizing the complacency that they're kind of just sitting in, around all day. But again, uh, you, if you think about it even a little bit, you kind of wonder, well, what do they do all day? Like they clearly don't care about their own history. They don't care about intervening in the game. Like, are they just playing Time Lord racquetball? Like, what is what is a typical Time Lord's day like? There, there does have to be an equivalent of Time Lord golf, doesn't there? Mm. Uh, they're just you probably know, last hundreds on, of years the links for game. Yes, uh, you know, out on the under those orange skies, whacking a ball around, um, <laughs> knocking yeah, off the silver it, leaves. It is, and and speaking of things that they are just not paying attention to, 
the the fact that the master escapes in a TARDIS that looks like Grandfather Clock, <laughs> yeah, very out of place Grandfather Clock, like that just happens to be there. The Doctor walks past. Doctor's mm. also kind of completely incurious as to why a Earth style Grandfather Clock happens to be here on Gallifrey, looking nothing like anything else on that planet. Well, they are Time Lords, Chris. <laughs> and a grandfather clock keeps time. So if the, you see something that's just a clock, it's like time. Yeah. Come on. Time. That's why it's here. So, <laughs> so the master making good use of the Time Lord's time obsession by just turning his stars into a timepiece. You know, it's funny timing because I'm I, I listened to Big Finish as well, and I just mm-hmm. finished uh, an adventure called Time of the Daleks, which talks about mm-hmm. a sort of time travel method which is essentially a room full of clocks in Mm. addition to like it's basically a room full of clocks and mirrors which conjures up really cool images in your head um and apparently if you introduce some chronoton particles to something and you have uh to this scenario and have a master clock that kind of works i mean again doctor who kind of science at work here um so you know like uh, the whole idea of a timepiece keeping time. I, you know, I, I would, lo- I actually wouldn't mind seeing more clocks on Gallifrey. And yeah, good point. This, this speaks to a little bit. Uh, one of the other things they say in this episode, where there's, it's almost like an aside, but I like uh, this for headcanon, where Engen says something along the lines of, "Well, we we turned uh, away from technology after a certain point, as you know, Doctor, right?" Mm. Which is kind of mm. like, huh? That's an interesting thing to say, like turn away from technology as an idea. Clearly they use it, but like, it's not something that is the basis of their society and what they do. And I feel, I like that idea that time Lords, it's not all technology. It's, it's, it's based on this greater understanding of the universe and their connection with it. And there's, you know, partly why they're mildly telepathic and it's, it's not just, you have the switch to throw to travel through time. There is much more to it. And, uh, maybe that's what they're doing all day. Better exploring their connection with time. I don't know. It could be. And isn't it interesting as an aside that uh, all of Time Lord history is in audiobook format? Hmm. <laughs> they yeah. have to, when the doctor you know, goes to listen to that stuff about Rassilon, it's very much on like, hey, let, let's queue up that chapter in the, the book on tape of Gallifreyan history. Well, that's what he must uh, have been recording in the, the prologue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Doctor, if you could just do a quick intro for this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, you guys do three or four takes. We we're so involved; we just love it. If you could tell us, you know, the impact of this time, etc. Yeah, he's he's the one writing the master's uh, official biography for them, so it makes sense that he would that he would just do that. He's a creative. Uh, yeah. So, should we look at what would have happened if the master had actually managed to unleash the Eye of Harmony? This I would love to captive black hole. Is it is it as straightforward as it seems? So one first of all, I really like the climax because mm-hmm. I love the it shows the guile of the Tom Baker doctor where he's just like that sash is damaged and he's like kind of looks down, you lie, but he distracts him long enough that he could tackle him and prevent him from doing it. Because the doctor the Baker doctor is such a liar. He lies yeah. all the time. Uh, I love he sort of he appeals to the master's vanity even in yeah. this ruined form. It's like, oh, what's that? You got a bit of ketchup on the sash <laughs> just right there. Look. <laughs> oh, made you look. Yeah, so th- that worked for me. But assuming he doesn't do that, or if the master had actually killed him with the staser earlier, mm. um, 
so the master wins and opens the eye, destroys yep. Gallifrey, gets yep. a new regeneration cycle. The doctor dies, uh, dies, dies, because that's what happens to Time Lords in this episode. <laughs> and yeah. so the master yeah. is now ruler of the cosmos. Am I right? I think maybe, maybe by the way, that, that that dry ice is there to inhibit regeneration. And that's, that's its purpose. Ah. Uh, and they just sort of use it for all official ceremonies because it's nothing it worse than messing up a presidential <laughs> resignation day than uh, you know someone just sort of falling ill and regenerating and stealing all the attention for themselves by doing that. Well, it makes as much sense as uh, the um, oh god, it went out of my head. But it makes as much sense as anything else in this episode with the, <laughs> you know. Killing people and just lack of regeneration. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm here for it, but it, they definitely forgot about it. Yeah, they did. So maybe, maybe the Doctor dies, dies. Gallifrey's destroyed. The Master becomes uh, Master of the Universe, and uh, you know, you got to, you got to think that the Master would actually prefer that the Doctor stay alive because what is a villain without his antithesis? And uh, you know, we've seen this throughout the relationship of the Doctor and the Master that they they really kind of need each other. Uh, they 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 are each other's nemesis, and uh, they they kind of like it that way. And so, the master would be kind of bored uh, running the universe with with no one to stop him. So maybe he would actually gift the the doctor a free set of regenerations, uh, you know, or, or regrow the doctor in a test tube, or figure out, you know, look go looking in those Gallifreyan archives to find out that whole timeless child thing that's lurking there. Uh, mm. deep in the matrix that no one has apparently ever discovered before. I like the idea um, of the master recreating the doctor and then that yeah. being his downfall again. And it's yep. sort of in the same way that the uh, monks had the simulated um, earth timeline and the doctor within that timeline warns the real doctor. Yes. You know, like I like that idea because you'd think the master would try to, set it up in such a way that he would win every time against a recreated doctor. And it'd be essentially be like a, a snow globe version of that conflict. But somehow that snow globe version of the doctor he has reverses some temporal thing in the real universe and brings himself back to save Gallifrey and defeat the master for real. That would be huge. <laughs> I just wrote it. Love it. Do it. Big Love finish. It. Yeah. Do it. Once again, big finish. Call us. Um, all right, so that's what happened if the evil plot succeeded. Uh, is there anything yeah, else that talked we about have Clara. to say? We talked about Clara. Well, uh, I would say, like, I guess in a, a, not, it's not whether it was good or not. I think it's very clear this is epic. But looking, again, looking back at such an epic episode of the old series and all of Doctor Who, really, seeing it now with all the new canon, with what we now know about Time Lords, the Master and the Doctor... Does this feel as epic as it used to? Is it diminished or does it really hold up? What do you think? I I was expecting it not to hold up. Um, because I actually, this is one of the uh, stories that I watched kind of early on in the availability of Doctor Who on streaming. It was like one of the first ones I went to. I said I'd heard so much about it, so important for Doctor Who canon. And I, I remember being disappointed then. Mm. And kind of actually, uh, kind of actually, only watching the first three episodes, not not getting into the fourth, which is when almost everything happens. Wow, you bailed! Yeah, oh, you I, bailed I after bailed, the Matrix. Okay, I can I understand bailed that. Bailed during during the whole Matrix part, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll just get to this later. It's a little 
it's a little weird and silent and and whatever. But I think I thought it held up much better this time. Mm. Uh, I think it could, with just a little bit of an amendment, sort of pointing out how how fusty and, and removed from reality they are. It could almost work as as a new Who uh, episode, hmm. a Gallifrey focused story. Um, you know, you just adjust a lot of the details, bring it forward in time, um, maybe throw in, you know, a few, few women and people of color, perhaps into the, <laughs> into the mix. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it just, I was, I was drawn in. I believed it. I didn't necessarily believe the matrix stuff. You know, the third episode is just sort of more interesting in an experimental way. But as for the Gallifrey stuff, I, I was into it. And, uh, you know, once again, got to give a, give a shout out to the costumes and the sets, for making us believe yeah i think uh, to me it really held up in a lot of ways one thing that didn't hold up was the matrix stuff it went on too long but that, that's the yeah. one part of the whole thing i would really want to completely remake and make that just more a more interesting battle because a lot of it's kind mm-hmm. of doesn't even make sense it's like he's going to need water was well, he kind of like why would he need water in a simulation and why even if he did why did he need it right away you know like it, it's all these weird things that just don't work and it, you know with the lack of dialogue just makes it feel long so that's, I, I would of, really, it's, it, I, I, it's interesting that the doctor gets out of that, by the way, by, uh, just asserting that it isn't real. Yeah. That's actually a really good moment. Um, yeah. and you, you, you get it in what he's doing. You're re- cheering for him, but you're also like, mm-hmm. oh, I also get why that doesn't work. Cause he has a person, another, a villain who's better at this using his will against him. And sort of, he has to sort of acquiesce at some point, which, so it, it sort of makes your he, you like to see that your hero has some control in the outcome of this and he's not just a mm. toy but yeah. you also he's also the underdog and that's you know the great great recipe for drama and conflict so that was awesome um the setup anyway not the actual uh stuff that plays out but what i think really held up for me and i said it already but it's it's the bit where like the doctor is now this ordinary guy who he's normally mm. the guy in charge, large and in charge. He's the time Lord. He knows everything. He's got the magic box, sonic screwdriver and all of it, but he comes back to Gallifrey and he's all, all he has to rely on is himself and his own problem solving skills because his yep. TARDIS isn't anything anymore. It, do, it doesn't even have the sonic screwdriver and it doesn't even use it. You know, yep. it doesn't even have the robot dog yet. So it's all like he, there's nothing special about him. He's just got to do his thing and he does and he wins. So that I really liked. Plus, all the cynical stuff on Gallifrey politics. Like mm. I was, I was as much as it doesn't really make sense. It's all like, uh, like I, I love the biting satire there. It just, you know, it, it really, the show speak with what could do effective social commentary. It really works. And I think it, it, it really did its job here. So yeah, I, I, I think the bulk of this held up. I really wish they would get back to almost that bit where the doctor isn't really well known on Gallifrey anymore. I, yeah. I kind of missed that. That would be be an interesting choice for RTD to make when he returns. Um, But one more thing, while we're talking about the Matrix, we we see the Doctor going into the Matrix, and they use the the time tunnel from the opening credits of the show, my favorite opening credits of all time, the the Tom Baker time tunnel. Mm, And uh, that was actually a... Because they didn't have the the spiral effect they were going to have ready in times. They just literally had to use the show titles. Mm. I love the idea that you can now believe that this isn't a time tunnel that we see the TARDIS in, in in the opening of almost every Tom Baker uh, story. 
it's actually the Doctor's mind <laughs> that we're kind of falling through. That's cool. I like that. Which explains why he appears so prominently in it. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of egos, right? Good Lord. How do you cope with all that ego? Okay, Chris. I think it's about that time. Yep. Time to get back into our TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Find out where we're going been, next. Which has been uh, returned to us by the Time Lords. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Yep. Re-establish the randomizer. Yep. Uh, we have to find our coordinates, and the only way to do that is by activating the randomizer. So the randomizer, of course, comes in two parts. The yes. codex, which is a complete list of every television story of Doctor Who, all the way from an unearthly child to the current um, episode, well, last episode. Eve of the Daleks. Eve of the Daleks. And it's 299 of them. All the ones we've already done are time-locked, and we are mm-hmm. going to find a number... By going to the executor. Right, which is played, part of the executor is played by random.org, which produces real randomness, uh, not a mathematical formula as most computer programs do, uh, but real randomness based on atmospheric noise, which is so Doctor Who-ish that we had to use that for our uh, executor on the randomizer. So I have plugged in a minimum of one, a maximum of 299, and whenever... Pete gives me the go signal. I will flip this here red lever and uh, push the button and the TARDIS will go into flight and we'll find out where we're landing next. Okay, let's try not to get sucked into a parallel universe as we, well, as we do, do this. Well, uh, do you want to give the randomizer a challenge? I think we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's... Uh, Okay. I, <laughs> I I think it's it's going to do its own thing, so I don't particularly have a challenge for it this week. But do you do you have anything in mind? There's, there's a very limited number of episodes that either mention or have dinosaurs in them. Oh. So I want a dinosaur oh. connection. There's obviously invasion of the dinosaurs and dinosaurs oh, on a spaceship, but there's you know there's a plesiosaurus and carnival of monsters, Earthshock shows how the dinosaurs were made extinct, and there's probably a few others in there. Mm. So give us like a dinosaur reference here. Oh, I like it. Dinosaur related yeah. episode. That's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I will actually issue it another challenge. Uh you seem to like Time Lords, mm-hmm. so take us somewhere else. Uh take us perhaps to Invasion of Time. Um, you know, the which is sort of a semi sequel to this. Mm. Uh okay. which I very much doubt the randomizer is going to do, but yeah, like let's let's explore Gall- Gallifrey. Let's um let's explore the, the doctor's relationship to his people in some way. All right. So, all right. I like it. Let's explore in five, four, three, two, one. Fantastic. 268. Oh, wow. We're late. We're late. Oh, it's Smile. Smile. Yeah. Remember that one? That's I a do remember that one. It's a Capaldi mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Uh, it's the emoji robots. Yep. And it is actually the same uh, writer of that episode was the, the writer of uh, In the Forest of the Night. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There's your uh, three lines, possibly. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah. And it's also it's it's the episode where Bill gets to ask the Doctor lots of questions, and I'm sure there are some Time Lord questions in it. So... Maybe this is the the randomizer fulfilling my request. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there are any dinosaurs mentioned. But. I don't know what it is with Capaldi and the randomizer, but they right. they hang they hang together a lot. 
Um, I gotta say, how you know it's truly random because you get weird patterns developing. Yeah, we haven't had a Bill episode in a while, so I think mm. the last one we did was Oxygen. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that was our one and only Bill episode so far, I believe. Uh, we did uh, Pyramid at the End of the World and Lie of the Land as well. Oh, so, correct, yeah. correct. But, yeah, we've actually done a lot from yeah, Bill's Yeah, I tenure. mean, I gotta say, Capaldi's companions were, were both very good um, with Clara and Bill, and that the pairing of uh, at Doctor, they, they, they're usually, uh, it leads to some good stuff, so... Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. This will be great. That's cool. I was so sure that was going to be a time-locked number, but we still haven't mm. actually encountered that in in all of our travels so far. We've not hit the same number twice. We, was, did we? I think we did it. We had to spin again. We did? I think it was like early on, though, so I don't know. As I... As I <laughs> As we upload to YouTube and you guys binge, let us know when we when we yeah. did the time lock. <laughs> Please let us know time our own history. It was like you know <laughs> when the pirate planet was materializing around something, and the Doctor was at the same time. Okay, never mind. Deep cut there. <laughs> well, we, we'll just say that, uh, like the Time Lords, we are completely clueless about our own history. So, uh, please <laughs> let us know, pull to open fans. Gotten bored and complacent, but I'm glad you haven't. And thanks for listening, guys. This is Pull to Open, the podcast. The podcast. You should subscribe if you haven't, because that's what you do with great podcasts. You should also tell your friends about them. You should also leave a review. You should also spend lots of time subscribing to us on all the platforms, which include Pull to Open, the account on TikTok, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at Pull to Open 63 and YouTube now. Go to YouTube, Google Pull to Open, Google. <laughs> Use the search engine within YouTube, which is also owned by Google, um, <laughs> to Google uh, Pull to Open podcast, and you'll find us. And if you keep subscribing there, there might be an easier way to find this. We've just got to get to 100 Indeed. subscribers. Indeed. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we will see you next week for the next episode of Pull to Open. In the meantime, don't forget to smile. See you next time.